everybody, and welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. And thank you all for joining us. We have a very special guest, Jana Reese, our resident Mormon expert has joined the podcast for the first time. Jana, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, I'm excited. Hi. It's awesome to have you. Tony, what are you watching before we discuss our show? There are some there are some great, great, unrequited, forbidden loves in the history of Western civilization. I'm thinking, of course, of Romeo and Juliet. I'm thinking of Abelard and Heloise. I'm thinking, of course, of Johnny Lawrence and Allie Mills. <laughs> because I just finished season three of Cobra Kai, which not only just is like such a trip down memory lane. When they, I love when they do the flashbacks to the movies, you know, because it's so, just so 80s. Oh my gosh. But the crazy thing for me is that everybody in that show is my age. You know, they're all in their 50s and. I just, I'm just really rooting for Johnny Lawrence, really. And I was so bummed that Allie Mills and Johnny didn't hook up at the end of season three because I just don't see the spark in Johnny's other potential relationships. That's where I'm at. That's the campiest season of a show I've ever seen, especially season three. They just looked at seasons one and two and said, ah, we can do better. <laughs> we can. <laughs> We can really dial this up. Well, they obviously had you a know. bigger budget to do John Kreese's Vietnam backstory. That was uh, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't that yeah. wasn't a YouTube budget, man. That was a Netflix budget on that. All right, Ryan, how about you? How about you? What are you watching? Yeah, I'm in an in between space, so I'm trying to find out what the next. Show. I'm watching Vikings. I'm kind of slow playing that mm -hmm. on Amazon, which was that A and E show. I think it was A and E that years ago. Their big budget drama. Yeah. And then I may get I may dip back into Servant on um on Apple TV Plus because their second season's got some more episodes. They do the Ted Lasso thing, right, where they drop an episode a week. Okay. I watched part of that first series and and I need to get back into it. But yeah, not a lot right now. South by Southwest is around the corner next week, and so I've got a bunch of screeners to watch. All online, I take it. Yeah. The whole thing's virtual. Hey Jana, what have you been watching? recently anything to anything you want to recommend to our listeners well i did watch the first few episodes of cobra kai so at least i was able to follow your conversation <laughs> but i haven't gotten that far into that yet i don't know i i, I did watch wandavision that was fascinating yeah. i know you guys have been talking about that so i'll have to listen to your previous discussions of that i thought that was innovative and kind of fascinating and maybe maybe a tiny bit disappointing in the end well, it's obvious that they're setting up for season two. So yeah. there were a number of of loose threads. I don't think that they ever adequately explain. Can, can we talk about this? Yeah, you, we can talk about this. All I mean, of this. Okay. No, we talked okay, about the so finale I, last week and both of us were somewhat disappointed. And then we've been mm -hmm. texting back and forth articles of other TV critics who are disappointed that, well, what, what to, go ahead. And what, what were you going to say? Well, I don't think that they have explained the role of Pietro, for example. That seems to be a glaring lacuna. And, you know, as much as I love the, you know, it's been Agatha all along yeah. idea, they didn't quite land that in terms of making us believe her backstory. Yeah. And, and I really felt like 
they left unaddressed the way that Wanda tortured all these people by imprisoning them. Like that Mm -hmm. she let her grief get so out of control that she basically imprisoned people. I mean, it was like Westview was like freaking Guantanamo. And at the end, it just ends up being like, you know, laser beams and shootouts and Wanda, I don't know, releases everybody without maybe paying the price for what she's done to these people. I, yeah, I felt like that was a mis- missed opportunity. Or paying the price yet. We don't that's know right, what's that's going true. to happen. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk, let's shift gears and talk about this show that we're we're tackling Murder Among the Mormons is a three-part limited series on Netflix. It's a documentary. It is uh, <laughs> quenching America's unsated thirst for true crime drama. <laughs> Ryan and I have only watched the first episode, but so far I'm really impressed with, I mean, it's some fascinating characters you can see. It reminds me a little bit of Wild Wild Country in kind of the vibe of it, which was another Netflix true crime type drama that I loved. So Ryan, what are your, before we start diving deep into what, what is America's fascination with the LDS church with Jana, what, what are what were your initial impressions of episode one? Yeah. And again, just, you know, to say a little bit more about the show as a whole directed by Jared Hess and Tyler Meesom, who most people will know uh, Jared Hess from his work with Napoleon Dynamite. So this is something uh, completely different, as you talk about. So we're talking about a series of bombings that happened in Salt Lake City in was 85. And the first episode is, you know, I texted Tony and I was a little nervous. And then Tony quickly corrected me. I said, you know, I don't know if there's a lot to talk about this series based on the first episode, because it really is just simply laying the groundwork for what does feel like are going to be, in pardon the pun, some kind of bombshell episodes with two and three. And and, and Jana even talked about that, you know, the difficulty of not spoiling it, right? Because there's not a lot of... I, I, it's For me, it was a fine episode. You know, I could see a world in which we just talk about this series as a whole, and we just burn through one through three. But it's tonally, I think you're exactly right, Tony, in terms of the the comps there, especially on Netflix. they that's their thing, right? I remember somebody at Netflix said to me once, we will never have a show bigger than making a murder. You know, that just the, the, the viewership and, you know, maybe we could talk about the three of us could talk about what that says about the American viewer, that that was like their biggest show. And they've had some really good shows, right? Let's be, I mean, they've, they've done, they've got great television. So I, yeah, I'm a, a little bit rambling, but one of the, my biggest takeaway for me was I, I hadn't realized that documentation, books, letters, and the like were so important in uh, in the Mormon Church, and that there was this underground or and and also above ground market for these documents for these for these publications and records and things like that. So I found that quite interesting, and as Tony pointed out, some interesting characters mainly folks who are working in that space. Jana, do you want to give some initial impressions? I have definitely have a, a, a litany of questions for you, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. I'll just do a, sh- a short overview of what 
this is without revealing too much about the plot. And then we can get into some questions about Mormonism, if that's what you want. Awesome. Okay. That's great. Well, I sat down the day this was released and watched this with my husband, which I think is instructive because I'm a Mormon. He's not. He watches true crime and I don't. So we both bring to it, you know, some level of expertise that the other one doesn't share. And it was fascinating to kind of watch this through his eyes because he, like I think the vast majority of people in the United States and around the world, is not at all familiar with this story of what happened in Salt Lake in 1985. There are two bombs that go off in the city in the same morning on October 15th. And it's a really terrifying time. Nobody knows at first what the connection is. And then they begin to sort of see that there is a connection between these two victims. And then a third bomb goes off the next day. And that kind of brings them to a a new level where they're beginning to understand that actually this is about rare documents and it's about Mormonism and possible forgery. So hopefully I've been able to get through that without revealing too much about what's going to happen in episodes two and three. I will say that I was overall quite impressed with the quality of the filmmaking and that I was a bit surprised because the only Jared Hess movie I've ever seen was Napoleon Dynamite. And so if people have that as their impression of his capabilities, maybe we should expand our view of the Jared Hess oeuvre because he's obviously capable of far more. Tiana, it's interesting you say that most Americans aren't familiar with this because this happened when I was a junior in high school and I have no memory of it. And and I have a lot of memories of events happening in America when I was in high school, but I have no touch point for this, even though they show some national news clips. So, you know, it made the national news, but I would have thought it's basically like homegrown terrorism. Mm. I would have thought it, it would I would remember it more. What? Why? Why has this not been a part of our ongoing historical consciousness? I think that's a terrific question. It may be because there were only three victims. It wasn't sort of a massive. Yeah. It was also in an age before the internet. If you missed the story on the six o'clock nightly news with Ted Koppel, you probably missed it altogether because it would have only been covered once or twice. It kind of came and went, unless you were involved in Mormon studies and knew a little bit about that world, or you lived in Utah or Southern Idaho, you probably didn't know much about this story. Mm. I I wonder at the more meta level, if you have, I'm sure you do, have thoughts on America's fascination with the LDS church. I mean, I was a passionate viewer of Big Love. I consumed John Krakauer's book about the offshoot branch and the murder and and all that. Yeah, I educated, I mean, you name it, the pop culture, LDS, and kind of sects that have broken away from LDS fascinate me. And I'm not obviously not alone in that. So other than being it's it's a homegrown religion, what, what do you think it is? The three examples that you just cited are the answer to your question. So Okay. You talked about Educated, which is the story of a young woman. It's a memoir, a true story of a young woman who grew up in a very extreme Mormon family that did not educate its children in school, did not believe in science and vaccinations and, and whatnot, and it was a pretty abusive situation. 
you're talking about John Krakauer. I'd say that's actually a pretty terrible book. I'm sorry to hear that you enjoyed it as much as you did, mm. because uh, speaking as a historian, I just, love, I just love his writing. His writing is great. Yeah. But it's also so full of yeah. <laughs> errors, just historical, flat out, verifiably wrong oh. errors. And and so as a historian, that bugs me. Yes, it's it's beautifully written, but it could be as fictional as Big Love, you know, in terms of what is really true about that. So it's it's frustrating, I think, for historians to see something like that become a bestseller. And of course, I also really liked his book about Mount Everest, and that made me wonder about his methodology in yeah, getting that yeah. evidence. So you you also you talked about that, and then the Big Love example, which is another example of sort of an extreme version. Uh, almost a, a caricature of what people might think of as Mormonism, because in that story, which is a great show, I totally agree with you, you have this family that looks on the outside like a believing Orthodox Latter-day Saint family. And actually, if you look in the backyard, the three houses on the houses on either side of them are connected because they're a polygamous family and they're involved in a brethren polygamous sect. Right. So all three examples that you cited are kind of the funhouse mirror of Mormonism, not the boring Mormonism Uh that most Mormons are actually part of, but the funhouse mirror. And that's the thing that people are interested in. They're not interested in me and how dull my religion actually is. They're interested in these other stories. (laughs) And definitely the story about what happened in 1985 in Utah is one of those stories as well, because it's showing kind of the underside. It's showing a a violent undercurrent, we would say, and a web of secrecy. Okay. But yes, fair. I think that's right. I mean, I wouldn't want Protestant Christians to be, you know, viewed always through the lens of snake handlers in West Virginia, this kind of thing. These are the extreme. And in fact, I have some experience of like pitching TV shows and being told, We'd really rather have the snake handlers like that makes for better television, you know, than normal progressive Protestants or whatever. But (laughs) the LDS church does have a history of some secrecy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go on YouTube and see that people have like snuck cameras in and filmed ceremonies that aren't supposed to be filmed. And Mm -hmm. so the LDS, it's not like everything is an open book with the LDS church. Absolutely. Right? That's true. That's true. Uh, certainly the temple. And it's really interesting in terms of the documentary in the first episode, in all the episodes, but you might've noticed the room that they open in where Shannon Flynn is sitting and he's dressed in his kind of 1930s yeah. gangster wear. He's got his pocket <laughs> watch. Um, that room, that long hall is the Masonic Lodge in Salt Lake. That's the the sort of Masonic temple that's right there on on Temple South, South Temple in Salt Lake City, which is named after the LDS Temple. And there's this fascinating connection because the LDS Temple ritual is derived in part from Masonic ritual. Joseph Smith was a Mason. And I was really interested in their decision to use that as a filming space, you know, because, and I I actually was a little disappointed that it's not developed more than it is. Hope that's not revealing Mm. too much, but visually, The filmmakers are making a connection between Mormonism and secrecy. Interesting. And now let me just ask this before I toss it over to Ryan. Would the the LDS church have had to grant permission for filming in that space? Like, is that a space the church owns? Or are you saying 
It's a Masonic hall yes. that's owned by the Masons. Exactly, okay. the okay. latter. And I was surprised to learn that actually they will rent out that space. It's been used in some other film and television projects. It's also been used for weddings and for community events. So the, okay. the Masons have, uh, at least in that area, become more transparent. You can also sign up and, and take a tour of the building, which I think I'm going to do on my next trip to Salt Lake when we all start traveling again. Cool. Yeah, I have a question, but I wanted to just kind of follow up on what you both said about kind of the extremist nature of religious television and film. I mean, I think we've talked about shows like like that with different faith communities. I mean, we looked at, was it Orthodox recently? Oh, good example. Which is, you know, like, and there's there are probably people who are in a Hasidic Jewish community who are like, I'm, I am a very boring person. Mm-hmm. Like, my life is very... But it just gives me meaning and a sense of community, and I don't feel oppressed. And you can go down the list. You know, and Tony talked about Snake Handlers. I think about a phenomenal film that everybody should watch called Them That Follow, Mm. which is, I think, probably the best account of a snake handling community because it's not about the snake handling community. But again, that's when, as Tony says, when you want to look at Christians, let's look at those. And, you know, speaking as as a film exec, it's that kind of othering of people of faith that happens to all people of faith and I, and people of faith do it. I look at, you know, I joke with my wife, we live not, we live a stone's throw from the center for Scientology mm. and the big blue building. And, you know, I realized when I first moved to Hollywood that people look at me, like I look at Scientologists, like people who aren't people of faith. They're like, you really believe that stuff? You know, I've had, I've had that question, you know, millions of times. And I can joke about saying to Scientologists, do you really believe that stuff? Like, we're all kind of in this othering process. And I think our, our film and television, that's that space that they live in because to, to Jana, your point, the reality is boring. It doesn't have to be boring. Like the Orthodox example, which is an interesting show, but it kind of hits upon every trope of someone who's left an extremist religion, including that they will come after yeah. you and threaten violence. Whereas also on Netflix, the Israeli show Shtisel, which looks at Orthodox communities and nothing exciting ever happens on Stiesel, but it's a fascinating show mm-hmm. because it's about the things that mm-hmm. we all share universally. It's about families that are disagreeing over a will. It's about the son who hasn't yet gotten married and everyone wants him to get married. You know, it's incredibly relatable. And the setting of yeah. ultra-Orthodox Judaism is just this rich, interesting backdrop. That's a great point. So I want to go back to a, a comment and kind of phrase it as a question for you what the first episode at least makes clear and maybe maybe I'm making too much of this but I'm just really interested in this market for documents and I know that's probably true of of other faith expressions as well that there are people who deal in things like that but it, is it important to let's just say your everyday mormon is there like this fascination or interest in that or is that just kind of a very small group within the church that that really values that material? It's a great question. You know, in terms of rare documents, that is a small subset. But in terms of fascination with our own history, it is instilled from birth. So Mormon kids grow wow. up learning the stories, not only of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, but all of the presidents of the church. And more recently, as they've been trying to get more women, thank God, into the history, some of the founding women who were part of the initial relief society and all of this. And so, you know, Mormons as a whole are pretty knowledgeable about our own 
history and some of the main things that happened, little kids, even all over the world who have nothing to do with this ancestor of uh, of this story of primarily white people crossing the plains, they're taught that story and encouraged to kind of see themselves in it in whatever hardships they may be facing wherever they live in the world. The pioneers did this and you can do this hard thing too. You know, history is extremely important. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Speaking of history, how how is the history of that church imbued with the DNA of the history of the American frontier? Mm. It, it it has seemed to me in my study of of Mormonism, even going back to when I was in seminary, that it it's a I don't know a u- uniquely American because I know it's now a global church, obviously, but there's something about the moving of the people across the country. There's something about even Joseph Smith and, you know, the way that he communicated things, the way that he got in, what, shootouts in frontier towns, the way people came after him with, you know, pitchforks. And and is that mm-hmm. is that part, like, how's that part? And then I also, I mean, this is unrelated, but you can answer both. That little that that old film that they show clips of, I also found that totally fascinating. So the cir- circa nineteen eighty, <laughs> totally cheesy yeah, with Moroni film. with the glowing yeah. light around him, and yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, right. But that's been a huge. I mean, I know Jenny, you could talk about this too. That's been, I mean, that's a huge part of the church history is the engagement with film, right? Like of of creating films for members of the church in ways that were far more well word i'm looking for like intentional far more just a deeper relationship with film than many other you know many other denominations so it's a good point i mean it's a good point sometimes i think people have the misconception that the mormons are the amish and uh don't embrace technology actually that's very far from the truth and that the church for all the the conservatism of its message has been quite innovative sometimes in the medium. Uh, In the 19, I guess it was 60s, I think, the temples of the church began using film as a way to depict the temple ceremony. So it's it's a sort of cosmic rehearsal of what happens with God creating the universe and then on the micro level, Adam and Eve. And so instead of having live actors, which had been what was done for more than 100 years, the church decided to have a film created that would be shown in every temple around the world in the language of that particular place. And so that was kind of a crazy decision for the time period to have this most sacred part of Mormon ritual be done on film. And that's what they chose to do. Can you... well? Uh, to my other question about American history or it being, you know, like contemporaneous with the expansion of the American frontier and manifest destiny and things like that. How, how much is that a part of the church today? Mm. That's a complicated question. And I think a complex legacy because how the Mormons see their own history and how America has kind of utilized that as a foil against itself is the interplay there is really interesting to me. The the second part of that, which is what does America need from Mormons? And 
for the most part, it has been in the last 50 or so years, we need you to be a model minority. We need you to be the, the religious success story. We need you to be successful in business. We need you to be outsized in your presence in politics. And we need you to have strong families. You know, we need you basically to be perfect, which is a heck of a lot of, of uh, pressure to bear. Yeah. And then how that affects Mormons is that they double down and feel that they they can't actually be real in the world and can't ever admit that they're wrong about anything. You know, our church is kind of terrible about admitting its mistakes or showing anything but a happy face to the world. I'm wondering how the church has responded to this. I did see, and you'll see in the first episode, that Rick Turley, who until quite recently was the official historian for the church, agreed to be interviewed, which is a big step, actually, for the church to to have an official mm. representative. Rick Turley is an outstanding historian. He, you know, He's a legit historian. It's not just a formal title, as it has been for some other people who've had that title in, in our church's history. And I thought he had some pretty interesting things to say. It's interesting, too, that he's the only person in the whole episode who keeps referring to the church by its formal name and doesn't use the M word, which is Mormon. Right, right. Let let me ask you about Salt Lake City, because it seems to me that what happened in 1985 surely could have happened anywhere, but there's there's something about it happening in Salt Lake City. And, you know, you talk to people, I have an aunt, uncle, okay, so here's a little context. Like, my mom watched this because Netflix recommended okay. it to her, and she just watches whatever re- Netflix tells her to watch. And so... She immediately sent out an a email blast to me and all these other people and several people, including my aunt and uncle, who used to live in Sandy, mm-hmm. Utah, wrote back, oh, I, I, I look forward to watching this. It will remind me of being a minority when we lived in Salt Lake and, and when everybody in our city council, everybody in our uh, state government, it's basically that there's... There's a church-state relationship in Utah and in Salt Lake City that is unlike anywhere else in mm-hmm. the country, and so that it plays in the plot some plot lines in Big Love, for mm-hmm. instance. Tell us how the setting for this documentary of Salt Lake City adds some I don't know grit to it or whatever because of that relationship between the church and the local government. Yeah, and it's particularly true for 1985 because now in 2020 2021 uh, the rate of Mormons in Utah is closer to like 60%, but at the time it might have been high 70s mm-hmm. even up to 80%. We've had falling birth rates in Utah. We've had a lot of people moving into the state who are not Mormon, and we've also had a number of people who have left the church and no longer consider themselves members. So all three of those things have been happening. And so that kind of, that that was, I would say, the high watermark in the 80s of that power that the church had, maybe the 70s and the 80s, in the affairs of the state of Utah. And so when I think that the filmmakers play that up a little bit of just how Mormon this community was, Salt Lake City was a city, but it Mm. felt very much like a town where you have one degree of separation from the people, everyone else in the city, basically. And because the, the church is so powerful and such a strong majority, everyone is affected by the church, even if they're not members, even if they're like your family members who 
uh, God bless them. You know, it's not easy to be the religious minority in a place that is so dominated by one particular majority religion. Yeah, and it didn't, I mean, it, it has never seemed to me that in Salt Lake City, people are trying to set up a theocracy, the LDS members who run for political office. It's just that there are so many members of the church who live there, it's inevitable that they're going to be, you know, school teachers and city council members and sitting on the planning commission or whatever. It's not like John Calvin tried to set up Geneva as a theocracy. Oh, but you know, but it was a, a theocracy. I mean, Brigham Young, was it? Yeah, when he was the president of the church, but he was also the governor of Utah Territory, and he sat on the board of mm. all of the utility companies. So the, <laughs> okay. the fusion, yeah, the fusion of commerce, politics, and religion was very complete, and it had to be sacrificed for Utah to become a state. That was part of the explicit bargain in 1890 when the church gave up polygamy in order for it to become a state in 1896. It needed to give up polygamy and it needed to give up theocracy. So it's actually not that big of a stretch. The John Calvin Geneva example is a really great okay. example, um, okay. but it, it it didn't last if they wanted to be part of the United States. Mm-hmm. And give up the name Desiree. Deseret, yes. Right. Deseret. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and also, also the, the, uh, currency of Deseret, which kind of plays into the story that the, the murder among the Mormons story. Okay, not to give anything away. You should strike that part. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, Jana, thanks. Before we let you go, you know, what would you like? It, it's tricky, of course, because like the three examples I gave you, I mean, it's it's a little bit voyeurism, you know? We like to see, we like to watch shows about stuff that that we think are weird. I mean, it, I was just this morning texting with my dear friend Jay Baker, and there's a movie mm. about his parents coming out starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. And, oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, you know, he's anxious about oh. how his parents will be portrayed. Will they be caricatured? Well, You'd have a hard time finding pop culture icons in the last 50 years easier to caricature than Jim and Tammy Faye, you know? Nevertheless, they're real people. And Jay's a real wonderful, beautiful, loving human being Mm. who's now going to have his parents portrayed, you know, on the big screen. So Mm. all that to say, you know, as, as a practicing Mormon, like what... What do you want Americans who watch this documentary because it's, you know, scandalous to to know or to think about the, you know, the broad, the, the, the church writ large? Gosh, that's a great question. I think that the documentary is excessively respectful, I would say. They hmm. could have actually been more critical of the church and its role in this particular historical story. And they didn't do that. I listened to a very interesting podcast episode with Jared Hess and Tyler Meesom, the co-director in which they talked, they were asked this question, you know, what was your own connection with Mormonism and how did you want the church to be presented? And Jared Hess, who is still a member of the church, still attends, but is what we would maybe call a nuanced believer. He said, Other people don't care about these issues that are driving people in Mormon studies. They don't care about some of these documents and 
What they care about, though, is learning about this particular human story about how this crime occurred and why it occurred. And that's yeah. what we're going to focus on here. It was actually a, a really good interview. If your listeners might want to check that out, it's from Sunstone in Salt Lake City. So they got okay. both of the filmmakers on to talk about it. And I thought that I thought it was well done. I really yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah, that's that's I think that's a great point for people to take away from it is that this is a story about human intrigue. This isn't really a story about church corruption yeah. or anything like that. So that's great. Well, thanks a million for giving us some of your time and a- adding adding your perspective and context to our our little podcast here. We really appreciate it. Well, I will be sure to check back for the second and third episodes to see what you thought of those. I'll enjoy listening ah, to those. Good. Yeah. Sounds good. Good to see you again. It was fun having Jana on, Ryan, and and talking about, you know, that it's just, I just am fascinated with Mormonism. And I've been friends with Jana for a long time and so respect her as a believer, as a as a human being. And, I mean, the added thing that she, she's like a legit historian and writer, so... Yeah, really, I think that was some great perspective. Yeah, my microphone, something happened on a technical difficulty, but I thought her comment about the model minority Mormon was particularly interesting because I had Mm -hmm. just rewatched the film Minari and, you know, you close your eyes and listen to her talk and she could be talking about any sort of immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. where you're expected to to be that model, happy, productive uh, community, individual. So I found that quite interesting. And I, I would have followed up with her on that had I been able to, but super thankful for her taking the time to be with us. I think we should potentially bring her back at the end of the series because I feel like we're going to have a lot to unpack with her. Yeah. So I think my final takeaway from the episode was... I have never seen so much hairspray <laughs> since hairspray. <laughs> yeah, man. Those, those guys, these all, those, men, Mormon apo- all the those Mormon apostles up there on the stage, all those white men in their black suits, there is some there is some spray or gel or, yeah, it's... it's whatever, whatever they're using for those domes, the NFL should research because I think it would help <laughs> prevent CTI. Yeah, I, I thought the fashion, also the Shannon... The, the guy at the beginning with the raspy voice. Yeah. And Jana talked about his fashion sense, but of course he was lacking in the hair department. No bouffant. Yeah. Oh, Maybe in his stuff. younger days. But yeah. yeah, thanks again to Jana. And all right, what do you think, Tony? An episode per episode? Yeah, let's Gonna do stick it. Stick with it. We'll talk to all you listeners next week after uh, we'll watch uh, Murder Among the Mormons, episode two. And, you know, we're already thinking about our next one because this is going to be a short run with three eps. So if you got some ideas, you know, send them to us on social. We appreciate your support and your listening. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.